Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Pharma Forum. I'm joined today by Mark DeGaradel, CEO at Syncor Pharma, uh, a company that was just announced as a new acquisition of AstraZeneca. Uh, it's not Mark's first time around for selling a, a successful uh, pharma company to a big pharma. He previously was CEO of Corvidia Therapeutics when it was sold to Novo Nordisk. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. So welcome to. So I want to learn a little bit more about Syncor and we can get into the acquisition in a minute. Um, tell me about yourself and, and how you got involved with them and what's Syncor up to? Uh, they have a, a unique approach to resistant hypertension, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, Syncor was actually originated in, uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, through an incubator that uh, actually licensed the right of a drug that was initially developed at uh, Roche uh, in Switzerland. Uh, the drug was targeting uh, hypertension. As you know, in this field, there's been a really little innovation in the last uh, 20 to 30 years. So what was very unique to the Roche approach was that they found there was an important hormone in the body, which is called aldosterone, which is generated out of the adrenal glands. And that hormone, when it is overexpressed in the blood, leads directly to essentially retention of water and salt in, your, in the system. And that creates hypertension. What Roche did, the scientists, they found a way to reduce this aldosterone in the blood and in doing it in a very elegant way so that it will not affect another molecule very close to aldosterone, which is called cortisol, and which is essential for life. So Roche decided in the mid uh, to around 2015 to uh, actually stop the uh, development of various cardiovascular drugs. They wanted to sell everything, couldn't find anyone. And this incubator based in Cincinnati called CRX was able to license it with the help of a venture capital fund, uh, Sofinova, investments on the West Coast, 5AM, and Sofinova partners. So they pulled essentially you know, a team together, uh, initially with actually very few people, to, to start uh, essentially the phase one uh, program, or continue the, the phase one uh, program. I got personally involved uh, you know, maybe a year and a half after, so it was in the mid, uh, to, well, actually it was in the spring of uh, 2021, when um, I had sold, uh, you know, Corvidia, and they were looking for a new CEO to take the company, uh, you know, potentially public to raise a large amount of funds, as this drug would require, you know, large funding for numerous trials. So, um, you know, obviously I was uh, a natural pick given my experience in cardiovascular. I had run prior to that uh, Ibsen, which is a French-based company, but uh, we did a, a large expansion in the U.S. Uh, launching. Uh, you know, drug that became a blockbuster. So I had, you know, a good CEO experience. I was with Amgen for 15 years before, primarily in Europe, but also in California. So I think I had a, a good background to continue the journey. And uh, again, what happened is, is uh, in the uh, again in the, in the spring of uh, 2021, uh, for the first time, we looked at uh, early phase two data in resistant hypertension. Uh, in a blinded fashion. So resistant hypertension is a condition which uh, is uh, you know, uh, viewed by the authorities as patients being on three blood pressure drugs and not yet on blood pressure goal. 
And and uh, again, those patients have actually a very high chance of having a stroke, heart attack, or possibly dying. So the FDA and the you know the authorities will really like the idea to have you know a new treatment possibly coming uh, from Syncor to address uh, you know a new mechanism of action in a way an elegant way to potentially re- reduce further the, the, the blood pressure. So that's, uh, you know, when I, I, I came in, we saw, you know, basically 40 patient data. This was blinded, but we saw already a nice reduction when, when the drug was administered early uh, uh, once a day. Um, and, uh, you know, that was obviously the encouragement to uh, to raise uh, further funds. So that's really the background. And obviously we, we can come up further on, on the journey because it's been a, a fairly lively uh, Journey at Syncor, you know, the ups and downs of, of biotech, uh, but certainly a very, very attractive program for a large and met medical need. About 12 to 15 million patients in the US are not uh, are on three drugs and not yet on the blood pressure goal. So it's, it's a large, large and met medical need. Wow. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So so what stage is your is your drug in? Is it our um in late trials or we, we, we are conducting actually four phase two trials. Two of them uh, were concluded uh, essentially last year. Uh, make some more comments about it in a second. Uh, two are still ongoing. And uh, we met with the FDA, you know, very recently. And basically, we are going to, I mean, the company, <laughs> probably obviously would be under the hands of AstraZeneca now, will start a phase three trial, you know, la- la- later this year. Uh, but so, so basically, it is... You know, on the verge of, of starting, uh, you know, large trial for phase three, and uh, which is, as you know, the latest stage before potentially filing uh, the drug for approval and getting approved by the FDA and other authorities around the world. So let's talk a little bit about this acquisition. It was it was announced uh, a few weeks ago um, that AstraZeneca would acquire Syncor for more than a billion dollars US. Um, how how far along are you in that process? Is it a sure thing? Um, and and you know when will you be able to say and that you know Syncor is now a, a part of AstraZeneca? There are obviously certain uh, you know processes when a company wants to buy another. So AZ we announced it actually the day of uh, JP Morgan, uh, right before the JP Morgan conference, which sort of marks you know the, the beginning of the year for for the biotech world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we said is that uh, on uh, January twenty third. Uh, AstraZeneca will essentially, uh, in coordination with us, start the, the standard uh, tender offers, so basically the possibility to to buy the shares uh, from shareholders from Sikor shareholders. That process takes, uh, you know, uh, essentially, uh, you know, roughly four weeks. And in parallel, there is an application that both AstraZeneca and uh, Sikor are making to the FTC. It's called the HSR, so Hartscott-Rodino process, where uh, you know the, the, the FTC investigate that uh, that transaction would not lead to monopoly or, or, or situation of uh, of, uh, of concern from from uh, from a competition uh, perspective. So that takes uh, also roughly four weeks, uh, but could be extended. So I think you know to summarize, there is a, there is a, a good likelihood we believe that the transaction would be uh, completed. Uh, you know, by by the end of February, but it could be extended maybe another month if the FTC asks more questions and we have to refine. So, got it. So, how did that come about? Uh, how how did you f- begin the relationship with AstraZeneca? Were you 
approaching other buyers or who approached who? Tell me the story. Well, we you know we filed uh, an official document to the SEC uh, just uh, you know very recently, fourteen D nine, which contains obviously actually much more detail about what happened. But you know, in rough terms, the discussion started to get uh, really serious after we had completed our Series B, uh, which was you know early in October of twenty one. So at that time, we raised one hundred and fifty million dollars. They saw the, the you know the market had, had reacted well to uh, uh, the investors to what we were doing, and uh, really the discussion started I would say very seriously around December of uh, 2021. Uh, you know they, they engage into what we call you know due diligence process. Uh, they look at things. Uh, you know they make some proposals. We you know we could not agree, and basically we said you know uh, you know goodbye. Uh, we will talk later because we cannot find really, uh, you know, a way to uh, potentially uh, agree. Uh, then, obviously, the big event for Syncor was in uh, in early August of 22, when we showed that uh, our drug in resistant hypertension, the Brighton study, showed you know, great efficacy. We had 11 millimeter placebo corrected improvement in patients. Again, these are again, patients who are really not in, in great shape. Uh, so very, very important uh, efficacy of the drug and along a, a good safety profile. So obviously at that time, you know, AstraZeneca look at it and say, oh, yeah, this, uh, you know, this drug looks, uh, you know, really uh, an, in, an important improvement uh, to, 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 uh, you know, to therapy, but obviously subject to further studies. So the conversation, you know, uh, started again uh, and carried on. And, uh, you know, there were some elements that uh, AstraZeneca wanted to see uh, as part of this uh, due diligence process, uh, including uh, um, what we call a DDI study, so an interaction with some uh, metabolite. And uh, that took a bit longer than planned. And we thought we are going to get close to a transaction when actually, you know, the AstraZeneca said, oh, by the way, you have a second study uh, readout pretty soon. You know, which was in a different population, less severe, called uh, uncontrollable hypertension population, and they said to us, "Well, why don't we wait? Uh, we agree on the terms, you know, kind of now, but uh, we wait for the result of that study." And in early December, uh, unfortunately for us, uh, the study didn't pan out positively. Uh, so uh, AstraZeneca, uh, you know. Ask uh, you know to relook at the data and understand why it wouldn't work in this early population versus the more severe population, the, the recent hypertension. And they found out that uh, you know the study was actually the drug was not uh, it was not a problem of the drug. It was an execution issue in the centers where unfortunately some of the centers did not administer correctly our drug, and also patients were supposed to to you know at, at the beginning of the study supposed to, to take their background drug in placebo, uh, did not take them and started to take them as part of the study, which resulted in a high placebo effect. So to cut a long story short, the study was really biased. It was, it was negative, but fundamentally the drug was doing what it was supposed to do, lowering uh, uh, you know, blood pressure, but unfortunately couldn't demonstrate uh, it uh, in a statistically, uh, statistically speaking. But AstraZeneca, you know, found, you know, agreed with our views, and ultimately, you know, we discussed further the uh, the um, you know an acquisition, 
and they came up and we agreed to uh, two terms, which you know resulted in, uh, as you indicated, $1.3 billion uh, up front. And then there is a, about another $500 million uh, payment uh, contingent value rights uh, when they essentially uh, register uh, for file, I would say, I should say, file for registration either in the US or, or in Europe. So, so, so why AstraZeneca? Um, why are what did you end up working with them, and 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 what are you you know as you think about them as a as a partner as a home for for Syncor? Why does it feel like they're the right uh, company? Well, they they are they, you know a great company because they've been very active in the in the field of uh, you know in the cardio renal field where uh, Bazostrat would be uh, would be used. You know they have the ability to conduct this large phase three. You know we don't know exactly you know the size of, of that uh, of that phase three, but you know we're thinking probably a, a thousand patients. They can do it globally. They can do faster and probably better than a smaller organization like Syncor. You know just to remind you, we're twenty people, so you know we have a very little tiny little organization so we need to ramp up there, there was execution risk uh, on, on that front so it is clear that the well-established company uh, like AstraZeneca could carry on this study uh, very well but I think also what probably differentiated uh, AstraZeneca from some of the other big cardiovascular players they had a specific interest in in particular uh, set of the population which has chronic kidney disease so we call it CKD uh, these patients tend to uh, are being treated today uh, by more and more by a, a drug that AstraZeneca has developed. It's, it's Farsiga, so it's an SGRD2 inhibitor, and, and that drug has proven to be very efficacious in slowing down the progression of, of uh, CKD. So they thought, however, that the, the SGRD2s are not very effective at, at, at lowering the blood pressure. So combining and SGRT2, their SGRT2 plus our drug could actually again potentially even slow the, slow down further the progression of the disease and could be really could, could become standard of care in you know in the long term for for this patient. So they were very attracted by that uh, value proposition. We were doing a phase two CKD study. We see that study is still ongoing, so we don't know yet uh, the full results. But they really liked uh, you know the work we are doing. Uh, in that specific population, so I think you know commercially for uh, for uh, for AstraZeneca, again they have with the Baxostrat they can have two legs. One is the resistant hypertension population, which is again a huge you know unmet medical need in the US and, and and in the world. And then they have this this uh, combination in in CKD uh, patients, which would have you know they would have to to run studies uh, for it, but. It could be also medically speaking very very exciting. So how will this play out for uh, for you? Um, you know what what will it mean for the company to to be acquired? And you know logistically, um, yeah, how do you, how do you slide into AZ's pipeline? Um, tell me, yeah, kind of as as you look ahead to the to the next year. Well, again, you know, AstraZeneca will disclose more as time comes because obviously they will be in charge. So, I, you know, I can't uh, give uh, too much detail because you know ultimately they, they, they will decide. But I think you know we we are, we are based in Wasm. They have uh, you know strong operations uh, here in, uh, in 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 the Boston area. They have uh, you know as you know they are building a huge campus on, in, in Cambridge, which is almost finished. They have a large action facility at in its seaport. So our understanding is is 
you know, through the transition period, they have the ability to transfer some of our staff if they want to, and if there is agreement. So that's again part of the transition process. Uh, they will have the ability to to uh, you know to to ensure a good transition uh, with us. Uh, but ultimately, you know, they will run the show and they will run phase three, and uh, you know, maybe some employees from Cicor will will stay. Uh, maybe maybe not. You know, it's up now to to AstraZeneca to discuss to uh, how they want to uh, to transition. But again, that process obviously only can start when we got the final approval from the FTC and 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 uh, and we got the tender offer completed. So, stepping back a, a little bit, thinking more broadly about the um, the space you guys are in, um, what, what happens next with, with hypertension? I mean, you've, you already said earlier in the interview that this, you know, this could really, your, your drug could really change the kind of standard of care around here, around this space. But, um, I mean, are there, are there, is there a pipeline beyond that? Are there, there plans to, to sort of refine that or to look and see if some of these same technologies can be applicable for other spaces or disease areas yeah I think, well i think you know aldosterone again uh you know from a medical standpoint uh when there is too much aldosterone in the blood so not only you have hypertension which we we described but there 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 is a correlation also what what uh, you know scientists found this well in preclinical models they found out that uh, too much aldosterone also is bad for um, heart cells and it's bad for kidney cells, so and also for liver cells. So there is a possibility, uh, you know, as time goes, to develop the drug for heart failure. There is possibility also to look at uh, some, uh, you know, liver disease-related, uh, you know, inflammatory uh, process. Uh, so so this, this drug can really go into you know multiple directions, but but. And this is, you know, why why we said it's a, you know, it's a pipeline in a in a drug because there are multiple multiple applications. And this is another reason why a tiny little company like ours, you know, which was we already raised, you know, about six hundred million, you know, in in the last century, uh, twelve months. Uh, you know, it's it's still very difficult for a tiny little company to embark on, you know, so many possibilities. So. Uh, you know, in the end, I think again, company like AstraZeneca will have to to um, you know make up its mind beyond again resistant hypertension and, and, and possibly the CKD population. Maybe they'll, they'll develop further in heart failure. Maybe they go into uh, you know other type of liver disease. You know, so there, there is uh, this drug is uh, again has multiple multiple application. It is also true that there is some competition coming too, and uh, that's also probably one of the reasons why AstraZeneca wanted to buy us now. Uh, because there are some 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 companies that are you know behind, but not too far behind. Maybe one or two years behind, and uh, they they want to to uh, to you know to 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 try to catch up as well. So. so this acquisition is happening in a in a time that is is you know pretty rough economically. Um, it so it's it's definitely something of an accomplishment in that sense. Um, you know wh- why. How do you see kind of the deals like this happening um, in in the current climate? And how, how did you pull this one off, uh, you know, without uh, AstraZeneca sort of, you know, backing out because because of uh, of kind of financial pressures? And how, how do you look at all that? 
Yes, no, you are absolutely right that the, the financial markets have been obviously extremely nervous. You know, you the rise in interest rate, the risk of recession, had a big impact on biotech. And on top of that, biotech valuation were probably, you know, when you look back at 2020 and 21, probably, you know, it was a bit close to a, to a bubble. So there's been a big readjustment. And therefore, it made investors in biotech very, very prudent. But I think, you know, the Syncor story tells you that if you have a good drug, if you have a good development program, and I think a good team, with, along with good investors, you know, people will, 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 will support such program. That's why we raise, again, in a very difficult market, $600 million. And I would, uh, you know, I would venture to say that one of the key levers we had with, with AstraZeneca to, to, you know, to do a good transaction was the fact that we had raised so much cash. So we could tell AstraZeneca, you know, hey, you don't have the price. Well, you know, we have enough cash to carry on. You know, we can do it. Uh, we can do the phase three. You know, we obviously have to recruit you know more people, but you know, we have enough cash until 2026. So the fact that we had this cushion of cash, you know, with more than 500 million of cash in, in the bank, you know, left us much stronger in the negotiation uh, in that context. So I think one of the lessons is, is, you know, when you can raise cash, when you get good clinical results, you know, you should really, you know, raise cash even though there is obviously dilution for investors. But this is the best way, if you want to contemplate at some point an exit, you know, this gives you a big lever in negotiation. And, uh, and you know, large pharma companies, they, in general, they want to de-risk. And they like the fact that investors, you know, put a lot of money in the company because for them, it's, it's, it's another validation that what the company is doing you know, may, may, may made sense. Um, Great. Yeah. And of course, this is a positive payoff for your investors too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, absolutely. It's great. Now, I think, uh, you know, obviously for this year, uh, what's going to be complicated for a number of biotech is that if, if uh, overall the, the, the macro environment does not really improve, uh, you know, a number of biotech will be forced into either, you know, trying to do some partnerships for some of their drugs in the pipeline at probably not very good conditions because they won't have much choice. Uh, or they would have you know, focused their cash on the most uh, you know, uh, promising asset. Uh, or three, they would have to merge with each other or you know, to try to make, uh, you know, to, to, to again, to uh, rationalize uh, their development program. But you know, this year is going to be you know, another tough year I think for uh, for a number of um, you know of uh, of biotechs, um, and um, you know until you know the, the, the cycle. Any other thoughts about kind of more broadly industry trends um, that you're seeing in in R and D and and in pharma, looking towards the this year that's just beginning? Well, you know, there's tons of innovation out there. So again, uh, you know, you know, recently it's been some very interesting results for NASH, you know, which is a very also serious disease uh, where there's been very little, uh, you know, uh, drugs out there to, for, for patients. So I would say this is an area of great, uh, great interest. Um, you know, there are mul multiple, uh, there's a lot of work obviously on cell therapy, as you know, on gene therapy, uh, rare disease. Uh, I think we're all going to continue to see some uh, some really good uh, you know good stuff um, you know for patients being being developed. But you know again the the, the law of uh, you know uh, of selection is, is going to continue. And if you have bad news, 
uh, is, you know, if you have bad clinical news, it's going to get tough for, for these companies. So, so, uh, so it's more and more a market, I think, that you know, starts to stretch itself into you know, really the winners and, and the, the losers. Uh, you know, more and more, uh, more consolidation. Yeah. More consolidation. Yeah. And I think the early stage companies, you know, all the platform companies, you know, will have to, to, uh, to accelerate development and also to make choices in terms of, uh, you know, which, which, you know, where do they place their bets because they are not going to be able to be, you know, to finance all their programs on their platforms. And they may have to again out license part of it to big pharma so that they get some cash to, to get going. So. I think also there is obviously uh, you know another source of financing non-dilutive which has been a more uh, you know more uh, usable more recently is uh, you know this this uh, sort of uh, royalty type of financing where you uh, basically get a lump sum of cash from a third party and that and that uh, is against you know future milestones and uh, royalties on the drug so that tends to be done probably again for products that are more advanced in development usually it's at least in phase 2 or in phase 3 but uh, you know, if you have, for example, a long phase three program and you don't have enough cash to go until the end, which could be the situation of some companies, then that's probably one of the way that you know, elegant way to uh, to raise cash and uh, without dilution for the investors and 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 give a chance to 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 see the you know the result of the phase three. So, last question: um, as as a person who's overseen two successful biotech exits. What advice do you have for uh, folks who are who are running, you know, small pharma companies who are looking to to pull off an exit? Um, yeah, and I'm sure anything would be helpful. <laughs> well, I think you know, companies are bought, not sold. So, you know, what you need to do is you, you actually shouldn't think about selling. You should develop your company as a standalone. You should do what what's important for the patient. You should develop it to understand how you, your drug is going to be differentiated versus anything else. And not only for pure you know, registration purposes, but also for reimbursement, because the world of uh, you know, reimbursement is going to get you know, tougher and tougher as, as, as time goes. So that's my advice is you know, do the right thing. Don't, don't worry about getting, uh, you know, getting bought at some point. You know, it will come. If you, if you, do, if you do good things, good program, Good drug, good results. You know, at some point, the big guys will show up, and then it's up to you and the board, obviously, to decide whether they want to sell or not. But don't, you know, start your journey by with the idea I want to sell, because that's bound to, you know, for I think honestly for failure, because you're going to 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 do some shortcuts. You're going to be extremely short-term oriented, and you're not going to develop the drug in a way that Big Pharma would want you to develop it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mark. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for PharmaForum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening.